Hello and welcome to the second edition here of the Ryan Glover Podcast with guests. The first edition we had the great Jeff Calkins on and now we are joined by the equally great Pete Pernica. Of course he has a television play-by-play for the Memphis Grizzlies on Fox Sports Southeast. I am of course Ryan Glover alongside me is Jordan Taylor for every production. You'll get his thoughts and, and his wrap-up show after every podcast. I get his thoughts on this great podcast we're about to do today with Pete Pernica. Pete, thanks, for, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I hope you had a great Christmas and are you ready to talk some Grizz? I absolutely did have a great Christmas, and uh, looking forward to talking a little bit about the Grizzlies, particularly off that uh, fantastic overtime win over Miami. So let's talk about the, some off-the-court issues real quick, Pete, That before we get to the on-the-court game, like you mentioned with that Miami Heat overtime game. We'll, talk, we'll first talk about the Matt Barnes incident that happened. Obviously, the incident itself happened three months ago, if we're going to be honest, with New York Knicks head coach Derek Fisher, and finally the NBA decided to come down with a ruling on Monday morning that Matt Barnes would be suspended two games, which obviously was the Miami Heat game on Tuesday night, and then, of course, the Utah game on Friday night. So your thoughts about the suspension? Were you surprised that it took this long? That's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question, is two games fair? And then how does Derek Fisher not get suspended? <laughs> uh, I was a little surprised that the suspension did come down in that there were no criminal charges filed, and apparently every, all parties walked away from it. And uh, it was obviously a very difficult family situation, and Matt is very protective of his uh, seven-year-old twins. And, um, you know, he, he, he did something that, uh, you know, I, I'm not privy to the investigation. Obviously, it was a very, very long investigation uh, for the NBA to, to make that decision. So not knowing precisely what happened, uh, it, it's hard for me to, to make a comment as far as the appropriateness of the suspension because nobody's really sure of exactly what happened in the case of, for example, Rajon Rondo and what he said to referee Bill Kennedy. We know exactly what happened, uh, and, and we know exactly what the punishment was. But in this case, we really don't know what happened between uh, between Derek Fisher and Matt Barnes, and so I, you know, for me to comment on it in in any specific form would be inappropriate because I simply don't have all the facts. Yeah, so like we mentioned, it, it was three months ago with the whole he went to L.A. and all that stuff went down. Like we mentioned, we don't know the complete full details, but you know, obviously from everything we read from the sources that were reported and all that kind of stuff, it seemed like obviously Matt Barnes did the more aggressive nature than Derek Fisher did, which obviously you would expect since it was his two sons, right, coming, and Derek Fisher was apparently in his ex-wife's house and apart and with his family, so obviously, like we mentioned, we know how awesome Matt Barnes is towards his twin sons and how protective of him, but just to, you know, there's always two sides to one thing. It might Matt Barnes might have been the quote-unquote more aggressor, but I'm still surprised, and to be honest, not just coming from a Memphis Grizzlies supporter, but just as an overall supporter of the game, you would think that Derek Fisher somehow, some way, would get some kind of penalty. No, no fine, no suspension whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, again, it, it's you don't know that it's completely one-sided. What, but again, you know, the NBA obviously they took a long time with this investigation. Yeah, three months uh, to, to make sure that, that that they got it right. And um, it's it's an extremely unfortunate situation. I know Tony Allen was very upset to see that that Matt had been. Uh, had been suspended. I, I saw him outside the locker room before the Miami game, and I said, "How you doing?" And he said, "Man, I, I'm just tripping over the suspension. He just uh, couldn't believe that it happened." And um, but you know, it's it's a case of next man up, and certainly uh, you know, Tony Tony took care of his business against Miami. So now to the other on the to off the court with the Grizzlies was Ryan Hollins re-signing back with the Grizzlies. We all know he was a part of the training camp and then the preseason, and then the organization decided to keep Jarnell Stokes and then release Ryan Hollins, who played a couple of games with the Washington Wizards, and then they obviously waived Russ Smith to get um, Ryan Hollins. So your thoughts, first of all, of having Ryan Hollins back, obviously we, he knows the system, he knows the organization. Your thoughts of having Ryan Hollins back with the Grizz? Well, Ryan Hollins is a very solid professional. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be at the Grizzlies training camp from start to finish and see every practice 
and see every workout. And Ron was a total pro. He was he was very very impressive. And sometimes you see guys that have bounced around to six, seven, eight teams, and you wonder, okay, well, how good really is this guy if he is bouncing from team to team to team? But as Brevin Knight assures me, as as another guy who's bounced from team to team to team, he says it means guys that that that, that teams want you. And um, he's he's a pro. He thinks the game. Uh, he's the type of player who doesn't make a lot of egregious mistakes when he's out on the floor. You can put him on the floor, and, and he's not going to hurt you. Uh, he may not help you in the way that Zach Randolph or Marcus Saul would, but he's, he's not going to set you back uh, to the point where a head coach is, is fearful of putting him in and, and then Marcus Saul's you know, burning through 42, 43 minutes a night. Uh, why Randy Whitman chose not to use him at all in, in Washington was a bit perplexing to me, particularly they had injury issues. Drew Gooden was out, Nene was out, and they still wouldn't play Ryan Hollins, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So um, it, it it's funny the way things work out because if the Grizzlies had let Jarnell Stokes go uh, and had kept Ryan Hollins out of training camp, would you have had the pieces to trade for Mario Chalmers, which clearly is a, is a, is a crucial deal as far as the Grizzlies' season uh, has, concern, has, has gone. So funny the way things work out. Uh, the Grizzlies ultimately got the guy that they, they really wanted on the roster anyway, although it took a, took a little while to get there. So with the waving of Russ Smith, obviously now the Grizzlies have two real point guards on the roster with Mario Chalmers, like you mentioned, and of course Mike Conley. We've seen time to time Jaeger has gone with the five-guard approach, you know, with Courtney Lee running the point guard sometimes down a couple of years ago when Benno was out and they let Courtney Lee run the point guard, and then of course Jeff Green has done that also. Do you think the organization is comfortable with only having two true point guards on the roster, or were you surprised that they waved Russ Smith for Ryan Hollins and it wasn't somebody like James Ennis, who they still think has a lot of upside? Yeah, I, I, I would be right there with you, Ryan, in terms of why, not why Russ rather opposed to, to James Ennis. But I think, you know, and, and taking the very, very short view, Russ played in, in garbage time against the Lakers, just, just did not play well at all. Um, and those are the things that you're looking for from a young player. Okay, we're going to put you in in garbage time. Don't go minus nine in your plus minus in, in, in a handful of minutes, you know, make those productive minutes. And, and when Russ had a chance to play, uh, did not play particularly well. And it's, it's one thing to play well in, in the Orlando summer league, but it's entirely another thing to play well at this level. Probably you are okay. Maybe not totally comfortable, but you are okay with two true point guards because Courtney Lee can handle the ball because Jeff green can handle the ball. Uh, and, yeah, you are hoping a little bit that you don't have injury issues. But the flip side of this is you don't know when Brandon Wright's going to come back. And so basically you're looking at a situation where you only have one true center with uh, prior to the signing Brian Holland. So uh, would you like to have a third point guard? Sure you would. Absolutely you would. But the greater need at this point was certainly to have a backup to Marcus Gasol because as we've seen, when Mark plays well, when he's aggressive offensively, and when he's, he's doing well defensively, the Grizzlies are still very, very tough to beat. But if you're going to have him play 40, 42, 43 minutes a night, um, you know, by the end of the season, he's, he's going to be worn out. So you definitely have to have another big who can play center. Zach Randolph playing five is, is 
really a very a stopgap measure that you don't want to employ very often. So like we mentioned now, the Grizzlies are 5-5 five and five with this new small ball approach with Zebo coming off the bench and the new look of Mark Gasol, Jeff Green, Matt Barnes, obviously before the suspension, Courtney Lee, and then, of course, Michael Conley. So you're obviously, if, if we're going to be honest, it, it obviously hasn't really worked. It's worked more on the defensive side. You know, that was the real issue behind all this. They wanted to go, they wanted to have more wing depth, you know, for those small ball four approaches which these teams are doing more and more often now so the five and five doesn't look good on paper but are, are you seeing any improvements over obviously the Lakers in the Miami Heat game the fourth quarter against Miami we'll get to that in a minute wasn't that good but the overtime was fantastic and then I don't know how we can judge a team against the Lakers since you know they are pretty darn bad but you know the Charlotte loss was disappointing because of the three throws and the Washington loss you would expect to win that one so your overall thoughts in this five and five stretch for the Grizz with a new small ball approach well, you know, it's it's not necessarily a small ball approach so much as it is a change in lineup. And you look at the defensive numbers; the offensive numbers have taken actually a modest creep up, uh, and but the defensive numbers have taken a big plunge. Uh, I, the way that I look at it, really is it's not it's not the lineup so much as how well guys play in that lineup. And what was happening early on, Zach was not on his he was not on point defensively, and a cutter would go through, you know, we saw this in the Miami game. Okay, Chris Bosch is at the top of the key and, and maybe just beyond the three-point arc, and Zach is guarding him, and a cutter goes through. And Zach dumps down to tag that cutter as he goes through just to let him know that he's there. But Zach tags him maybe inside the free-throw circle and then keeps dropping back, dropping back, and now he is at – the free throw line, let's say, which is 15 feet from the basket, and you've got Bosch retreating beyond the three-point line, which is 23 feet from the basket, and there's no way that Zach can close out if Bosch gets the ball, and now he has a wide-open three-point look. Um, you know, you can still play Zach in the starting lineup, but he's got to be better in pick-and-roll situations, and he can't be giving up the threes that he's been giving up. Uh, and I thought he did a did a better job in the Miami game of, of, of being better defensively. Um, the smaller lineup, Matt Barnes, is he's a better defender than Zach is. And what this means is if you have that better defensive lineup on the floor at the start of the game, you're not having Mark Gasol have to erase everybody's mistakes. And uh, I think that the, the lineup, was that coming off the bench? I'm, I'm fine with it. It's not really – a change in style it's simply a change in hey we need to have better defenders in the starting lineup and and Zach has struggled defensively uh and and Matt Barnes hasn't Matt also gives you uh some three-point shooting which Zach doesn't uh and it also gives you the the side benefit of Zach coming in and having an, an all-star playing against a bench unit and his numbers offensively and defensively have been better since coming off the bench so um you know, I think it's, you're right. It's it's a mixed bag. You can look at five and five and say, well, you know, that, that's not all that great. You know, you're two games above 500 with the standard lineup, and you're 500 with the with the newer lineup. Um, at the end of the day, you got to play better. That's what that that to me is the bottom line. Because you look at the different lineups, and you can crunch the numbers six ways to Sunday. The bottom line is you have to play better. Tony Allen was not playing real good defense before the injury. Since the injury, he's played better defense. And so, uh, you know, it's a domino effect all the way down the line. 
So let's keep with that Zach Randolph comment real quick. You know, in the paper with Ron Tillery talking about him and all that kind of stuff, and from we hear from him on, in, in his individual quotes, you know, he sounds like a true professional. But since you're around him all the time, Pete, from what you've seen from the body language, maybe in the locker room or on the court or stuff of that nature, is he really, really happy from what you read and from what we actually hear from him? Or, you know, deep down inside, is this really killing him? Well, I, he's, he's a company guy. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. I mean, ultimately, if you're winning basketball games, um, it, it's not going to matter. Would he prefer to start? Yes, he would. Absolutely he would. He's a two-time All-Star. He's been a starter, you know, pretty much since uh, maybe his second year with, with the Portland Trailblazers. So to come off the bench is, is an entirely different deal. Um, does it bother him? Yeah, probably it does. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine as a as a world-class athlete, world-class basketball player, that, that, that it wouldn't bother you. If it didn't bother you, then there'd probably be something wrong with you. But uh, what I take away from it, the first game that he was brought off the bench against Miami, he had one of his best passing games of the year. Um, and, and honestly, his, his offensive opportunities are much better with him coming off the bench, as I said, working against somebody else's second unit. Um, I just think that the best way to approach this, and Chris Harrington of the Commercial Appeal has, has advocated this approach as well, is that you don't say, this is my starting lineup, you know, come hell or high water, and this is who's going to start. I, I think that you need to be flexible with your starting lineup based on that particular night's matchups. And so, you know, some nights, if you're going up against, say, a Utah Jazz team, if, if they're all healthy, which they're not right now, uh, if you go up against a Utah Jazz team that likes to play two, two bigs, or as they say now, two in, three out, uh, then, then you know, you, you count with Zach Randolph in the starting lineup. But if you're playing the Golden State Warriors, uh, then, then, you know, you start Matt Barnes in, instead of Zach Randolph. So I, I think it, it, it will be an intriguing process to watch as this team tries to figure out, okay, we've got a little bit more versatili- versatility, versi- versatility, I should say, uh, than we've ever had before. You know, last year, if somebody went small, the Grizzlies kind of threw up their hands and said, well, we're not sure what we're going to do. We're going to play the best we can and hope hope we don't get hurt too much. Uh, this year when a team goes small, you actually have options and, and, and better options, particularly with, with Matt Barnes uh, on the floor. So uh, it, it's going to be intriguing. I don't think that anything is, is set in stone. Uh, as I said, it will be an interesting process to watch the evolution of this team and its identity. Uh but when I asked Dave Yeager point blank, I said, what's your team's identity? He said, number one, we're a Marcus Gasol team. Number two, we're a Mike Conley team uh, with Zach Randolph helping out and just better ball movement to, to get our wings uh, some plays. So, uh, you know, in, in January, you do not have any back-to-backs, so you're going to actually have some practice time. Grizzlies will be home for a six-game homestand. Uh, so, so there will be some time to, to sort this out and figure this out. So like you mentioned there, I, I, I also read the pick-and-pop article that Chris Harrington wrote, and he mentioned the same thing you mentioned with like the bigger teams, like you mentioned with Utah. If they, if they were healthy, they would start Rudy Gobert and Derek Favor. So I know this team's been together, the core four, and you know the little pieces with Courtney Lee and Jeff Green now have been here for multiple seasons. But does that hurt the chemistry, say, if one night they start the Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol big guys, and then the other night they switch back and forth? Do you think that hurts the rotations and the chemistry at all? Or do you think since, since this team is basically like a family and they've played together now for more than four to five years together, they can do that for from time to time. I don't think it hurts the chemistry at all. I, I really don't because, you know, through the course of the game, you're going to have mix and match lineups anyway. Uh, and so you just have to be prepared to play, play with whomever. And one thing about this Grizzlies team is you're dealing with players that across the board have 
pretty high basketball IQs. Uh, Matt Barnes, I've been very, very impressed with him. Uh, you know, all the guys on this team understand the game of basketball. And so mixing and matching the lineups, I, I really don't see that being an issue. And then, like we mentioned now with the Ryan Holland signing, that means obviously he played nine minutes against the Miami Heat the other night and most likely will be in the rotation going forward since you signed him. But when they went small, Pete, and they brought Zach Randolph off the bench, obviously he was playing the five, and they would sometimes play Vince Carter at the four and then you know move the wings out and so forth with Mario Chalmers, Jeff Green, Courtney Lee, and so forth. So now the Ryan Holland signing, that most likely means Zebo will move back to the number four you know position and Ryan Hollins will have the five position. So does that mean Vince Carter, since he's been pretty darn good in the plus-minus category and that, since he's played since he's come back from you know not playing for almost a couple of weeks do you think he's going to be the odd man out of the rotation again or do you think Jaeger somehow some way has to find Vince some playing time well you know Vince has to has to produce when when he's out there and right now he's on a real real cold streak I think you put Vince out there uh you know if the, if the matchup is favorable to him you don't have to have Vince out there I mean Vince has great value I think as as an extra assistant coach on the bench um but honestly Vince yeah, I mean, he's had some good minutes at the four. Trust me, I know Vince. Vince and I have talked. He doesn't want to play the four. He wants to play the three. Um, he just doesn't want to bang with those big guys. And I know sometimes he walks by us at the scores table and says, i got to check this guy. You're kidding me. Why am I playing the four? So uh, I, I, he'd, he'd, he'd much rather play the three. So uh, you, you may see uh, Vince at the three and Zach at the four and, and Ron Hollins at the five and, and a little bit more standard lineup. And I think probably better for Vince. I mean, you know, he's – a little long in his career to be banging bodies with these uh, 6'10 guys. Yeah, absolutely. So then now we'll transition to on the court. Like we mentioned, the Monday night game against the Miami Heat, the Grizzlies won 99-90 in overtime. It, the, instead of the third quarter awfulness, Pete, this time was the fourth quarter. At Miami outscored him 21-14 to get it to overtime. The Grizzlies led 83-74 with 3.59 remaining in the fourth quarter. They decided to substitute Mario Chalmers out of the game and bring Tony Allen back in the game. And the offense once again got back into that funk. So you, what did you see personally from that fourth quarter collapse again from the offensive side and then the defensive side to make the game go into overtime? time was it the ball movement was it getting stagnant or what did you see I thought the ball movement did get a little stagnant there's always that issue that the one thing that the Grizzlies lack is that true alpha male uh whether it's a Kobe Bryant or Dwayne Wade that okay everybody in the building knew late in the fourth quarter that Miami was going to throw the ball to Dwayne Wade and he was going to make a play the Grizzlies don't have that guy that you just throw the ball in and everybody get get out of his way and, and let him go to the rack. They, they don't have that. So Grizzlies were trying to melt a little bit of clock, and then they would start a pick and roll, but it would be maybe 10 seconds into the shot clock. And, you know, pick and roll against a good defensive team like Miami is, you know, you, you, you can't really get a good shot off in, in 10 seconds. So, yeah, the ball stagnated a little bit. The other thing, too, and, and this is this is another interesting thing that Dave Yeager is going to have to work through. Teams are not guarding Tony Allen on the offensive end. So you are really playing four on five. And, and you know, you, the, the trade-off is now you have Tony Allen to play defense against Dwayne Wade on the other end, and he's really good at that. So um, that's, you know, and unless you're calling timeout or you have a, a stoppage where you can play offense, defense, and suck him in and out, you know, you're stuck with him then on the offensive end. And, uh, and, and basically the other teams just are not, are not recognizing him as, as an offensive player in any way, shape, or form. So, yeah, I thought the ball movement got stagnant. I was a little disappointed in that. It, it, it looked very similar to the end of, of the Charlotte game. So one of the things I'm sure Dave Yeager will, will be looking at when they, when they practice tomorrow and, and on into uh, the start of the new year 
is you just got to get better in late game execution and and you can't be indecisive you just have to say this is the play we're going to run it and 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 let's not start initiating plays when with 10 seconds on the shot clock because that's that's just not enough time so is that where Jaeger you think is having those question marks where does he go back big down the stretch because you know against that Charlotte game they had that game minus the three throw attempts and then those three straight possessions down the stretch it was a pick and pop with Mike Conley and Mark Gasol and then the, the, like you mentioned the shot clock just get really low and the Grizzlies just had to bail him out with a deep shot and Zach had the matchup against Frank Kaminsky which he was dominating for most of that game and then the Miami game down the stretch and then of course in the overtime he didn't play so do you think is that when is that when the the Grizzlies and Jaeger have to go back to the old Grizzlies approach and put the two big guys in there and deal with the defensive on the other end with Chris Boss stretching the floor do you think the only way they have to win down the stretch is still playing the small ball well I think that you always in the end of the game I shouldn't say always but I think more often than not again depending on matchups you'd like to have Zach Randolph on the floor why because Zach Randolph's a very good offensive rebounder and if if you miss a shot in a late game situation obviously you want another opportunity Zach has the opportunity to get that for you. Zach also has the ability to score in late-game situations. He also has the ability to draw and ones in late-game situations. So, you know, ideally you'd, you'd like to have him out on the floor. Uh, you know, if the other team has a, has a dangerous three-point shooter as a stretch four, uh, you know, you, you do that with a little bit of trepidation, uh, although it certainly worked out against Miami because Chris Bosh down the stretch was, was just awful uh, shooting the basketball. And then your personal opinion, Pete, which one was better? The Jeff Green come from behind block against the Lakers or the Mark Gasol shimmy? Because both of them were fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in, their, in their own ways, both of them, both of them were exceptional. Uh, you know, I love them both because they both show emotion from players that sometimes don't. Uh, sometimes Jeff Green is, is so quiet, you're, you're wondering what he's thinking. But to see him explode with that athleticism and to be that aggressive uh, really is very gratifying, um, frankly, because sometimes he can be fairly fairly passive, uh, and the Grizzlies didn't trade for him to be passive. He needs to be aggressive, and I know sometimes he's, he's thinking, like, where are my driving lanes, and, you know, can I get there? It's like, just, just go. Play instinctively, because he is, he is still a phenomenal athlete and can get to the rim with very, very long arms and is a tremendous finisher around the rim. And I, and I like the fact that, you know, you see one of the greatest players of all time going down to the other end, and Jeff Green says, you know, I'm going to go after it, and I'm going to block it and, uh, and take care of business. So uh, I, I think I'd probably give, I'd probably give Jeff a, a slight edge, although the shimmy was special. Hey, Pete, this is Jordan. So going, hey Jordan. going back to your alpha male point, I think that's, in my opinion, that's always been the problem for Memphis. They never had that dominant guy that you can just throw the ball to and say, go get me a bucket. We all think that Mark Gasol should be that guy, but he doesn't look like he wants to embrace that role. So do you think for Memphis to take the next step that they need a guy like that, and can that be Mark Gasol? Well, can it be Mark Gasol? Uh, I think from a talent perspective, it can be. Uh, from a mentality perspective, he has always been brought up in the European system, which is I have a good shot, my teammate probably has a better shot. And and, and so there there is that pass-first mentality about him uh which we're 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 trying very hard to to shake out of him uh it's like mark you with a shot is better than throwing to a wide open tony allen for an 18 foot shot i mean and and that's nothing against tony we all love tony but you know let's let's evaluate you know the the, the quality of the shot don't throw it to tony uh you know if he's standing alone in in the corner you know trying a a three-point shot um you know the numbers are very favorable when mark attempts 15 or more 
shots a game, eight and two this year, and averaging right around 24 points a game. His his, his shooting percentage goes up when he's more aggressive because he's he's in more of a flow. Um, can he be that guy? I think he can, uh, but he kind of has to change his thinking. And you want to say to him, Mark, you're the max money guy. You are a two-time all-star. You are arguably the best center on the planet. Go and do it every single night. Uh, you know, don't give us eight points one night and then 28 the next. Uh, you know, we need for you to do this night in, night out. He's also handling the very heavy burden of being the last line of defense. And uh, I think where he has gotten sidetracked offensively is when the Grizzlies perimeter defense has broken down and he's having to erase everybody's mistakes. And then you go down to the offensive end. He's like, okay, somebody help me out here. Um, but, you know, to your point, I, I, you know, you, you look at teams that have won championships and the last team that I think won a championship without what I'm going to say is a true alpha dog is, is probably the Detroit Pistons. And even then they had, they had Chauncey Billups as Mr. Big Shot, but that was a, a team that was more, you know, level in terms of there wasn't one guy who was a superstar. I mean, you did have Rip Hamilton uh, and you did have Ben Wallace and you had Rasheed Wallace playing for them as well. You had Chauncey Billups. Uh, but, you know, you didn't have the one guy who would go out and, and, and have the potential to get you 30 or 35 points. Um, but those guys just don't grow on trees. Uh, you know, it's very, very hard. I don't, I don't think Kevin Durant's going to going to come to Memphis uh, when he when he's a free agent. But, um, you know, you just have to – Look, I mean, outside of, you know, Durant and, and Curry and LeBron and Westbrook and a handful of others, most teams don't have that guy. And so then it's incumbent upon the team and the coaches and general managers to figure out a way to, to kind of work around not having, uh, you know, that, that major league scorer. So two more points, Pete, before we let you go. Well, let's preview the road trip that the Memphis Grizzlies are on that starts Saturday, like you mentioned, against Utah, then Monday up to Portland, then Wednesday back down to Oklahoma City. Like we mentioned there briefly with Utah, going to be without Rudy Gobert, possibly Derek Favors. He didn't play last night with the back spasms. Game time decision for tonight's game, then obviously most likely game time decision for Utah there. So they would most likely start Trevor Booker there at the position there and go a little bit smaller with Jeff Witte also at the center position. So your thoughts with Utah and that upcoming match, and then, of course, the two other road games against Portland and Oklahoma City. Well, the Utah game, you know, it's always a very, very tough place to play. Uh, Gordon Hayward has given the Grizzlies all kinds of, of issues throughout his career. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be probably the biggest challenge. Uh, are you going to be able to take care of him? Because, again, there's a guy that sometimes end up, ends up on Zach Randolph, and, and, and he can stretch the floor. Um, you know, you're also looking – that Alec Burks is going to be out. He's got a leg injury, and, and he's not going to be back until the All-Star break. So they're, they're going to be severely, severely hampered, and I think the, the, the Grizzlies' ability to defend um, Gordon Hayward is, is, is going to determine whether or not they win this game. And I, I think certainly it, it is a winnable game for the Grizzlies. They're going to be a little bit more rested. Utah plays tonight, uh, I believe, at home against Portland, uh, second end of a back-to-back. The, the, the Portland game, you know, Damian Lillard, his return from plantar fasciitis, you know, how good is he going to be? He's, he's, he's listed technically as, as day-to-day, but plantar fasciitis is a, is a particularly tough injury, and the only thing you can do for it is rest. And uh, so if he is able to play in that game, how much is he going to be able to give Portland? 
Um, and the Grizzlies remember how badly they were beaten there and, and just basically folded their tents in the third quarter, and, uh, and, and it got to be pretty ugly. But, again, it's a sub-500 team. You have to go in there, and you have to win that game. I, I think it's vital that you take the first two games of this road trip because then that, that now puts you on a four-game winning streak, and in Oklahoma City, you know, you take your chances. It's a very tough place in which to play. Uh, they're going to be at full strength. Um, and, you know, there have been a lot of great battles between these two teams, and uh, and that'll be the centerpiece of the road trip, obviously. So last question, Pete. Obviously, like we mentioned, January, no back-to-backs was, is obviously a plus, even though the Grizzlies are fantastic on back-to-backs this season. And if we're looking at the schedule, Pete, the, if we're going to be fair, the two toughest games, if we're going to just look by schedule and team, would obviously be the Oklahoma City game, the January 6th, and then January 12th at home against Houston, and then maybe come all the way down to January 25th against Orlando, which they've turned their season around a little bit. So is this the defining season this month, Pete, for January? Say the Grizzlies go again, say they're 500 or they're just a couple of games above 500, do you see Chris Wallace and this organization making moves or do you think they're regardless of what happens this month which should be a winning month for the Grizzlies they're going to stick with this team and go with it the rest of the way well you know it's always hard to predict because you never know what somebody might offer you <laughs> you know and I mean Chris Wallace is going to do his due diligence and guys are going to be on the phone and, 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 and see what happens but to your point I think this is an opportunity really for the Grizzlies to make some hay because you know, you're talking about – you do have a long homestand, but you've, you've got a Denver team that is struggling. You've got a Houston team that's been very, very up and down, a New York team that's been up and down, a New Orleans team that, that by and large, has, has been down. Um, you've got Denver twice in the month of January. You've got Milwaukee that's been struggling. You've got Sacramento. Uh, you know, these are, these are games that, yeah, you should win. And we, we had the graphic on our telecast when the Grizzlies were in Philadelphia – from December 22nd to the end of the year, based on current winning percentages, the Grizzlies have the easiest record and easiest uh, schedule in the league. But you have to take advantage of it. I mean, you can't just assume, oh, we have a six-game homestand, we're going to go five and one, or we're going to sweep it. But to me, you're two games above 500 uh, right now. Your eighth seed in the West is a little below 500. So if you can get yourself to a point where you're maybe six games over 500 going into February, uh, and and then you play 500 baller a little bit better, you're going to be okay. But the real motivation is you don't want to be seven or eight, or even six, seven or eight, because you know that you're gonna if you're six, seven or eight, you're gonna play Golden State, San Antonio, or Oklahoma City. You know, you you'd, you'd ideally love to get in that four or five, uh, and and maybe play let's say a, a Dallas team that you know you you have a decent chance against you you just don't want to be an eighth seed and and play golden state in the first round of the playoffs so uh, but january I, I think to your point is is really yeah it is is it is or it has the potential to be a defining month for the grizzlies i mean they really can help themselves in terms of their standing uh just by taking care of business take care of the home court take care of the sub 500 teams and and if you do that uh, they'll come out of january in, in real good shape I definitely agree, Pete. So that is Pete Prenick of the television play-by-play for the Memphis Grizzlies on Fox Sports Southeast. Pete, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully we can do it in the new year. Have a safe travels up to Utah, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. So that was Pete Prenick of the television play-by-play for your Memphis Grizzlies here on the Ryan Glover Podcast with guests. And now, after every podcast, unfortunately we couldn't do it on the first podcast because we were running out of time, but now from now on, every podcast going forward, the final thoughts with JT. I love how you just put me on the spot like that. I think the big, I think 
I like going back to what Pete said. You don't want to be six, seven, or eight. Yeah. Because if you do, it's over. Absolutely. It's absolutely over. And for me, going into the playoffs with the Grizzlies, just if they make the playoffs, like, I'm happy with that. Because mm-hmm. if they do get past their first round, I don't see them going much farther than that. Because the expectation for the Grizzlies hasn't been so far this season. They've been lowered from the past few seasons. And it's sad to say because I think that that clock is ticking for the Grizzlies. I think their best chance to actually do something with the group that they have right now was this yeah. season. And if they don't pull it together now, I don't see it going any farther. Because like you mentioned, if you get that four or five seed, right, you still have to play the one seed in the next round, which yep. will most likely be Golden State or San Antonio. So you're absolutely right. If you get that four or five or six seed, you want to play Houston, you want to play Dallas, teams of that nature. But you know the next round is going to be a, it's going to be a dog fight regardless who you play. So I we both definitely agree with Pete that it has to be. You want to get to the playoffs, and you would love the first round. You know, get that fourth seed so you can have the home court advantage, so that you know Grizz Nation can show up and represent again for the playoffs. So, but I think Pete was spot on with everything we talked about. Like we mentioned, this January is a must win for the Grizzlies. They could easily get ten games, eight games above five hundred. Mm-hmm. But the thing is. No game for the Grizzlies is a cakewalk right now. Yeah. Every team that they play, they have to come out and play. It's like there is no nights off. Like every game they have to win. And it seems like the stretch that they're going through now, they win one game, lose another game. Win one game, lose another game. You're not getting anywhere with that. That's going to put you dead in the middle. You don't want to be dead in the middle. You either want to be really good or really bad. Exactly. Yeah, and, you know, even though Ben Simmons might be a hell of a talent coming out of LSU, I don't want to be that bad. Right, you, know? you don't want to be that bad, <laughs> but <laughs> – Hey, at least, at least getting you a lottery pick is better than sitting in the middle. That's true. That is definitely true. So like we mentioned with Pete there, the three-game road trip starts Saturday night in Utah. We'll be then Monday against Portland and Wednesday against Oklahoma City. Then a six-game homestand for your Memphis Grizzlies. Basically almost two and a half weeks they will be home. You'll get to catch some action here at the FedEx Thorn. So thank you so much for Pete Pernica for joining us on the Ryan Glover podcast with a guest. Of course, Jordan Taylor, the producer, will be on every podcast. This, of course, podcast was produced and the WMR studios here, the best jazz in the Mid-South. Make sure you tune to 91.7 FM with Malva Massey for the great jazz here at Memphis University. I am Ryan Glover. We'll be back next week with another guest and more time here on the Ryan Glover Podcast with guests. Until then, have a safe and happy new year and go Grizz.